welcome to Witch Space. I'm Gemini. And I'm Scorpio. And today's new book for this new moon is Welsh Witchcraft, A Guide to the Spirits, Lore, and Magic of Wales by Mara Starling. Yay. Yay. Okay, so let's dive in with the bio. We gotta start with the bio for first. She was born in North Wales and raised on the Isle of Anglesey. I wonder if I'm saying that right. Angsley? Angsley? Angsley. That probably with with British and like United you Kingdom cut. words. Yeah. You always like cut as many letters out as you possibly can. So okay, I so feel like Angsley. That sounds good. <laughs> Ainsley. Um, a native Welsh speaker, transgender woman who has been practicing witchcraft from a very young age. And this is all from her Llewellyn bio, by the way, where I'm getting this bio from. Um, She's got videos on TikTok, which is how I discovered her and fell in love. Uh, YouTube, she's a celebrant and tarot reader. She runs moots, gatherings, and open rituals. And she was featured in the BBC Wales doc, Young, Welsh, and Pretty Religious. Forgot that I, this also I think is part of the bio in the book. And I'm so happy we started here because I actually had, I had a conversation with my husband about this the other day where I was like, you know, I like actually am of, I'm a, I'm a very religious person. But when you say like pretty religious, people automatically assume like, oh, that you're, you're Christian or like, oh, you're Jewish. Like they automatically assume you're like a mainstream religion. It's like, no, I'm a witch, but I like very much give a shit. Like I, I'm very invested in my witchcraft religion. So it's very nice that like that was something that Mata did to be like, well, I'm pretty religious, but I'm religious in a witch way and not in a like the way you assume. You know, just to go off the topic for a second, you said pretty religious. You know how like people get so angry, like, you know, oh, witches are having witchy things and kids are going to be influenced by witches and blah, blah, blah. So this week, we got a letter in the mail addressed to my husband. In hand, it was written, handwritten. It wasn't like, you know. And it was some person who had written this letter saying, we found your information. You know, we study the Bible. Sending him like, inform- yeah. He said, what is this garbage? And how did they get my information? And it was all in Spanish. So I was like, give it to me. I'll send them something back. And then I saw the address and I was like, up. Oh, it's in our school district. Guess I will not be responding, but yikes. Yeah. So yeah, talk about grooming. And well, not that my That's husband's a child, but you don't know who's getting fuck. it. Yeah. Like you're just sending it out. Mm, That's weird. I know. That's yeah. super weird. Yeah. So yeah, wishes are the problem. I don't send random letters to people trying to get them to become witches. Written ass letters. Jesus. It was, can I tell you, it's not the first time I've gotten them in the past. I swear to God, but it's been years. Like I forgot about them. So then he's like, who's this? I'm like, I don't know if you don't know them, it's to you. And he opened it up. And that's when I was like, oh, damn. Yeah, this is the thing I told him. Like they, they I don't know how they get your name, but that's they so see it as a Hispanic name. So they're like, oh, let me write to this guy. He must be Christian. So yeah. So please don't send like Yikes. religious mail, Christian mail to my atheist husband. Thanks. Anyway, well, back yeah, to the okay, book. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about something more fun than that. Jesus. Yes. So, so let's talk about, I guess, I do have a quote. It's from the beginning. I love when we start with a quote. Yes. And she says she's a traditional witch. And the quote is, 
that this book is very much an exploration of historical accounts of witchcraft and magic, the folklore associated with magic in Wales, and an insight into how a modern-day witch might incorporate a knowledge of these things into their practice. So even if you're like, oh, Welsh witchcraft, well, one, I may not know anything about it, so here's a good place to start. But even if yeah. you're like, well, that's not my practice, I still think that this is valuable, and I like that she phrased that right off the bat. Yeah. And in the introduction as well, she says that the purpose of this book is to present my personal exploration into witchcraft, as well as to introduce you to the rich and deeply interesting array of magical practices that stem from the Celtic region of Wales, which is, you know, the worst part is when I did have a TikTok, I followed this girl on TikTok who just would say Welsh words. She would do mm -hmm. a Welsh word of the day. Um, it's like Cumra or Cymru. Um, is the name of Wales, but I am not pronouncing it correctly, so I'm not going to do that again. Um, but I always love when we get a book like this, especially a book that is like kind of an introduction into something, when mm -hmm. when somebody just says like, hey, this is my understanding of the thing. Because it's almost like reading, um, it's like reading a memoir almost, like a witch's memoir. Right. And I really like that. Because it's the sort of thing where it's like, okay, well, I can take whatever I want from this. You know, I can use it as an exploration of my own path. I can read it and be like, oh, my God, suddenly I'm deeply called to, like, reach out to Welsh gods. Like, it's it's always nice when somebody is just like, this is just, like, my vibe, guys. And, like, you can run with it or you could not. Um, so I appreciated that in the introduction. And to jump off what you're saying, what's nice is a lot of times – you know, you might read or we might say on the podcast, hey, you know, you can do whatever you want. Well, what does that look like? And yeah. I think that by reading this, like you said, like a memoir, it's like, this is how she did it. Okay, so that means that I could probably and then you get more ideas, you know, it's like an example, like, how do you just start? How do you just start and incorporate things that make sense to you? Like she says, her practice is as old as she is. She's not saying yeah. that her practice is centuries old. This is something traditional, which she has done this. She has created this. And for people who are thinking, I would like to do the same, I think this is a great book, whether you want to be a Welsh witch or not. So, yeah. Exactly. I absolutely yeah. agree. And she says it. She just says it's meant to be an inspiration and a springboard. So she even acknowledges that, yeah, this is just to like help you get an idea of what you can do. I liked in the introduction when she talks about the witch being a complex archetype because mm. we talked about archetypes when we read Young. Um, and it's something that I, you know, I, we, we spent a lot of time talking about like the mother archetype, but the witch is an archetype. And so every single one of us is filtering witch, right? This like ethereal collective idea of a witch. We're all filtering it through different lenses. Um, so the idea of like, you know, she talks through the book about like the Wales didn't really care about witches the way that like England did. So a Welsh person is going to have a different filter on the archetype of witch than an American person, than an, a person from India or Japan or, you know, anywhere around the world. And I don't think I've, I don't remember seeing somebody outright state the witch as an archetype before. And it's something that like, I would like to sit with. You know, not not on the podcast, obviously, but like in my own, you know, like book of wins, sit down and be like, okay, well, what is my filter on the archetype of which? What does the archetype of which mean in my practice? And how does that then relate to all of these other practices that I'm experiencing and exploring? 
I like that. And it's funny because I think that the archetype definitely manifests itself when we look at people, right? Who, yeah. Who are witches. Like, well, especially when we look at like you versus me. And I talk about this all the time that like I don't look like a witch. Nobody looks at me and is like, ah, yes, a witch. Right. Right. But see, part of me does feel like when you see, I don't know, I, I guess I, I think of, and I'm trying to now think of one from, you know, pop culture or whatever, but I feel like there is a room, well, Sabrina. Sabrina is kind of like the young, kind of fun, colorful witch. Yeah, but she still has that very, like, Scorpio face. <laughs> Well, I think now, but if you look at the original Archie comics, you yeah, know, that's fair. Um, I guess that's what I'm thinking about. Like when we think about pop culture, I think there's always been. And then there's also Samantha on Bewitched, right? This idea of yeah. she's a young girl getting married in the beginning of the show. And then she's a young mom and she's not she's not her mom. She is not Endora, right? Yeah. Endora is kind of like what we think about. When we think about the witch, you know, so, um, yeah, but I know what you mean. Yeah. All right. So let's keep going. Yes. So one of the things I really appreciate that she says, and I think it's important because, you know, we should care about these things. She says the Welsh Celtic culture is not a closed practice. Yes. And she makes it very clear that there are closed practices. And she also talks about how a lot of these cultures have been oppressed and that it is natural for them to then say, this is ours and you can't come in. Yeah. And, you know, that just made my heart all warm and fuzzy when I read that. And I was just kind of like, thank you so much for saying that. And she also says that being Celtic is a state of mind, a way of living and a way of believing. So she welcomes everybody into this, Yeah. which, you know, I don't think we really see that in other books. Not that you have to, but it's just it's nice. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I just thought it was nice. And then we get into chapter one. Yes. And I have thoughts. All right, tell me. Chapter one is finding a Welsh witchcraft. Yeah. Perfect. Okay, so first of all, she talks about working with an entity called the Witch's Devil. And I was like, please tell me more. Mm -hmm. um, th that's the thing that just keeps coming up this year is like people, I get like, are we like reclaiming Satan? Is that what we're doing? <laughs> But like, and I just want, I want more of it. I always want more of it. I feel like I, I would have taken a whole chapter from her and it would not have been relevant. So I'm happy that she didn't. But just like, please tell me all about it. Um, I don't want to do it, but I want to know about it. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, now that you said that, the whole idea, are, are we reclaiming the devil? I think what witches are doing, and she does this in this book when she talks about baneful magic, which is not yet. She yes. kind of introduces the subject, but she's not really talking about it yet. She talks about it later. Um, you know, it's no longer taboo. This whole idea of the threefold law, which she says she doesn't ascribe to. I know you don't. Mm -hmm. And part of me does. But here's the thing. Being raised with my mom, who also believes things come back to you, not threefold necessarily. But she's like, you know, everything just comes around. You know, when I've asked her, so you did something and now this thing happened to you. Do you think this might be payback? She's like, eh, maybe. I said, so would you do it again? She was like, yeah. So I think that witches are not looking at baneful magic as, oh, we can't do this anymore. It's going to come back to you. I think it's more like, 
yeah, you know what? Sometimes you have to do it. And again, archetypes. What is Satan an archetype for? You know, liberation, Mm -hmm. thinking for yourself. So I think in that respect, I think witches everywhere are kind of looking at this and going, no, I don't necessarily believe in a devil, but this archetype is not a bad archetype, right? It's something that we need to adopt to. We need to think for ourselves and figure out what's right for us. You know? Yeah. I imagine we're going to see more of it in future books. Honestly, I think that that's something that's like kind of indicative of this current modern witchcraft time. I'm here for it. Like, I want to read all about it. I want to, you know. Another thing that she said that blew my top. Absolutely. Magic is not supernatural. It is the very essence and spirit of the natural world. And yes. I literally, I the note that I wrote is, hello, would love to discuss magician versus witch versus sorcerer. Ooh. Because I think that that statement is something that separates sort of like the different classes of magic maker, right? And like when I think about it in terms of like D&D or Pathfinder, like, yeah, the witch is doing like herbal, medicinal, like nature stuff. The wizard is studying and reading tomes and the sorcerer is like calling out to the energy of the universe. Okay, well, that's kind of what I'm seeing in actual witchcraft practice as well. Like a witch is exactly the kind of person who's going to be like, well, this is nature. This is the world. I'm in touch with the energy of the world. Whereas a magician is like, well, I have all my seals and, you know, all of my rituals that I've carefully crafted. And then when we read Consorting with Spirits, like a sorcerer is kind of like reaching out to the spirits. He's like a spirit dude. Like, hey, help me out. Hey, help me out. So, because like I read the sentence and my immediate thought was like, I think magic is supernatural. I feel like that's part of the definition. And then I had to be like, oh. This is this is the delineation between the different groups in our own community. Like this is the the break. Okay, so what's interesting for me is that I even said it on the Spanish Spanish podcast. I said magic is natural. We are living in this world. We are entities, and everything has a spirit, and we have spirit, and we're just all interconnected. And I'm going to blame because the per- person we like to blame the most is Gerald Gardner. And I'm going to blame him for the fact that we are now trying to take this apart because he put it all together, right? This whole idea of a witch being natural. And then, of course, he's a ceremonial magician and a a sorcerer. And he's like, well, a a witch does everything. Maybe they don't. Maybe they do. But, yeah, I think it's time that we unpack that and really realize, okay, there are people that call themselves different things for a reason, because they are different yeah. things. So it doesn't mean that you can't, oh, well, I'm a witch. I guess I can't speak to spirits. No, it doesn't mean that. But I think we have to respect the fact that some people are going to be sorcerers. And that's what they want to be called. Yeah. And that's that's what they are. So, okay, I'm surprised that that's the first time that you felt like that kind of. Oh my. Because I don't think that I've, I don't think I've really sat with like a definition that succinct, right? I don't know that we've mm. seen a sentence where somebody just straight up says, Magic is not supernatural. Because for me, like, I hear supernatural, I'm like, super natural. It's natural, but there's something else there, right? There, it's, um, it's like, you know, like above the natural. And okay. so for me, I'm like, well, magic is supernatural. Of course it is. But having read, actually, that's the difference. The difference is having read the books that we've read. Because if I hadn't read 
consorting with spirits, I don't think that sentence would have mattered to me. I wouldn't have thought about it at all. Got it. But having read Consorting with Spirits and being like, oh, well, this is what a sorcerer is in Jason Miller's, you know, personal definition. Like, oh, this makes sense now. I understand why different people have different names because I treat this definition differently based on the fact that I am a witch. Yes. And when you think about a lot of the witch books right? Quote unquote, witch books that we read. How many times have we said on the podcast, well, this person didn't call themselves a witch, right? Because they weren't, right? right? But it just so happens that now we are so mixed, and again, blaming it on Gerald Gardner, um, that it's like, so what is a witch? And should we have these differences? And is it okay to be all three and still just call yourself a witch? You know, I think these are all great conversations to to have and to really think about, even if you don't tell anybody else, but for yourself to just kind of define it for you. So yeah, I like that. And a lot of this chapter is about like sort of figuring your own shit out. So like sit with this a little bit. Like, yeah, I never would have thought about it prior to reading it here. So like, if you're listening, and you're like, Oh, my God, this is boom, like, wow, brain blast. Take a minute, be like, Oh, well, okay, what does this mean? Why am I having this reaction? Where do I fall in the spectrum in like the weird triangle of (laughs) magic makers? Then we go into chapter two, which is the brief history of magic and witchcraft in Wales. Ooh, yes. And she defines traditional in the beginning of this chapter. And I feel weird about it. Yes. Because Why? I think I'm struggling. Well, because here's the problem. I'm struggling with the ways in which we modify the definition of traditional to make it work Right. So like the the definition she gives is like she talks she's talking about it with other people, I guess, in the book. And they decide that like traditional just means repeated and passed on by word of mouth, which I don't inherently hate. Right. But is it traditional if you're the first person passing it on? Yes. Yeah, I think that it it is because she also says that it's about, you know, also looking at the the um, what do you call it? The folk stories, right? Yes. Mythology of wherever it is you're from. So that could be what you're, what's being passed down. You have these stories. You are making your tradition. And then you can pass it down to somebody. So I don't think this has to be because, I mean. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? She, she's saying no, that, she's not yes. coming from a line of anything. So you know what I mean? And also, I didn't think of it as. <laughs> this is so ridiculous. You said the words you do your tradition and then pass it on i was like oh fuck that's that's the line right traditional is the passing on of your tradition not right traditions in general so that's on me continue (laughs) okay um and speaking of definitions um how she defines herself i will not be able to pronounce this i'm actually looking at the book this is the first time that i have done a podcast where I have the book just opens up to the glossary and guide to Welsh pronunciation, which I am fascinated with. If you ever get a chance to hear her on YouTube or on um, TikTok, she will speak Welsh. It's so pretty. I mean, I really like listening yeah. to it. But then I look at the words and I go, I'm never going to be able to say it. So she is a suinid. Suinid. The problem is, is that I've made 
a list of all the words that I wanted to look up before the podcast, and then I lost the list. So I had this game okay. plan that I was going to come on here and be able to pronounce all these words perfectly, and the universe said, fuck you, bitch. <laughs> so the, the reason she's calls- like, no. <laughs> no. We can blame it on the fairies for this episode, for yeah. sure. So she talks about, like you said in the beginning, that the witchcraft tri- trials in Wales were very different. And that's because Wales is a very different place and a very different culture. That's a quote. And one of the things is they do believe in the Fae. And they believe that the charmers and diviners were respected and they were loved by their communities. And that's the word. The Suinid is a charmer. So it's kind of like, you know, calling yourself a witch. She says there's no real word for witch. It's it's a bunch of different yeah. things that and- you can call yourself um somebody who like a i really enjoy that breakdown okay i'm gonna make words happen i really enjoy that breakdown in the book where she just kind of discusses all of the different welsh words that can encapsulate different concepts of witchcraft and and talks about specifically the fact that like if you look at the court cases they they poured it in the english word right that it was a wit or a wits right because they didn't use like the welsh words for for somebody who did magic witchiness that wasn't associated with the kind of thing that you would like go to court and get you know hanged for um and she even talks about guarch oh um, i don't know how to pronounce that word either um there's a more sort of modern word for witch that really just means like a gross old hag. Like it's not, it wasn't historically used for people who did magic. The gurash. The gurash is the modern Welsh gourash. word for witch, originally meaning something repulsive or hag versus a word and... like suin, oh my God, suinu raiga, suinu raiga, a female practitioner of witchcraft and magic. But I think that's, a more modern term, suin, suin riga. But to look at all of those words and and really understand, like historically and etymologically, what a witch was to Wales. Like we've we've mushed it down into okay, well you're a witch, but like right. there's all these different options. And I'm talking at the beginning of this podcast about like oh here's our little weird triangle. It's a it's a big crazy star. It's lots there's it's not just three options, it's all of these different names. Um then we get to chapter three, the sacred landscape, and what does it mean to be Celtic? And I love this. Because from then then she goes on naturally to the next chapter, which is legends of the land and all that stuff. So Well, first of all, let's talk about the fact that Celtic is a language group. Um, because I think a lot of times people look at celtic and like oh all of the it's all the same it's like no they're 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 not right right and i saw again i don't have tiktok anymore so i watch all of my tiktoks on instagram reels like a 50 year old woman um but i saw a instagram reel that was a tiktok of a drag queen being like um well what were what was philip what was the philippines called before spain came and she was like nothing it was a bunch of different islands with a bunch of different cultures and languages and etc that's what the celtic language group is it's a bunch of different islands and places with a bunch of different languages and cultures and they're all related to each other but they're all different so in thinking about that and in talking about the sacred landscape you know she's talking about making a place sacred with intentions 
And that intention might be, you know, a bunch of people making stone circles and other monuments that you can go and look at a hundred, a thousand years later, but it also might be using your own connection. Um, she talks about like Welsh as word magic, as like the language being magic. Okay, well, your language group, right, Brythonic, not Gaelic, loved that. But taking like words that are important to you and putting them in places, right, putting them in what you're doing to create that sacredness is something I think we do as witches, but don't always define, right? Don't always like make note of. And she even talks about, you know, my my partner and I go to this bench and it's deeply yeah. sacred to us, but it's just a bench to other people. Like that still counts. That's still a perfectly valid thing. Right. I really enjoyed that about, because when we talk about sacred space, we always think somebody has to have called the sacred to be sacred, right? Yeah. This rock is sacred because I have heard through history or I've learned through history that this rock is a sacred rock without realizing that what makes it sacred is you, right? You are exactly. the practitioner. You can make anything sacred. And I think if you really sit with that and you go, well, I've never done that, you have, right? If you have a favorite route to work, mm -hmm. if you have a favorite walk that you do, if you have a bench like she has with her partner, it's all of that, you know, you're making something special. Something that looks ordinary is really something more. And it doesn't necessarily have to be yeah. magic work. It has to just be something that is. I, I got to tell you, I said my route to work because in all honesty, there's nothing I love more than going up and down that stupid mountain when there's mm -hmm. no other cars there. When there are no cars there, that is my sacred space. It gives me so much joy. I think I leave so early in the morning mm -hmm. because I want to be one of the few cars on there. And sometimes I get the whole yeah. way down before seeing another car. There is something to me that's magical. There's something about just being me. And especially when I get past, like, there's a section where there's a bunch of um, houses. And it's just yes. trees at that point. And that, to me, has to be the most beautiful thing. And when the sun rises there, that is sacred space. You know, I've never done a ritual yeah. there. I've never done any, but it's sacred space to me. Like, I just think it's, and when I see people zooming, I'm like, are you not noticing where you're driving down? Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, how do you just drive and go, oh, okay, I just want to get there. It's like, no, you just want to get there. Go on <laughs> something gorgeous. else. What are you doing? I know. Yeah. Yeah. And okay. I do also want to take a minute because yeah. talking about the Celtic language group, this is mm -hmm. not something that I relate to, but I do think it's something that you will relate to. Mm -hmm. Mata is a native Welsh speaker. Mm -hmm. Mata uses Welsh in her magic. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's important. I think if you're somebody like we, we just started bringing in Spanish podcasts, I think if you're somebody who like has a, a different language right whether you were you know your native spanish speaker or native whatever or you picked up another language because it's very important to you or you know i always say i'm gonna learn gaelic and i never do but like if there's another language that is important to you for whatever reason use it in your witchcraft right allow that to also create sacred space and sacred intention because i think i i think we get caught up a lot in what we're supposed to do and a lot of what we're quote unquote supposed to do is in english yeah gardner is in english and as much as he's like picking and choosing from the celtic language group to create wicca in the first place so much of what we do is in english and it's not helpful to colonize your own practice 
Mm. Yeah, that's a really good point. You know, so in my practice, the only time that I am speaking in Spanish is if I'm calling on spirits or I'm talking to my ancestors. Everything else I do is in English. Everything. And I think it is because, and, I, and I've said this on the podcast before, I kept my things separate. Mm-hmm. So my sorcery was separate from my witchcraft, right? Yeah. Like I didn't, I didn't see them as being able to coexist. And now that I'm starting to bring things together, it's not that I'm having a hard time, but it's things that I haven't even thought of. Like until you said that, it never even would have occurred to me to go to my altar and start speaking in Spanish. That's not something that I would do unless I'm specifically talking to my ancestors on the altar. I am not speaking Spanish on the altar. And see, I feel like Caridwin would be into it. I feel like she would be like, yes. You go. I really do. <laughs> I'll keep you posted. Yeah, let us know. Yeah. Because <laughs> I feel like the vibes I'm getting, especially what we'll talk about her later in the book, the vibes I'm getting are like, yeah, yes, bitch, speak Spanish. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> I got to. Okay. Chapter four, Legends of the Land. The mythology of whales. And I have to admit, I'm picking this up. I'm not going to be able to pronounce that name. Davies is the last name. And I'm looking at the glossary to see how to pronounce. Um, is that the word? Yeah. Mabinogi, a collection of Welsh myths. And she recommends yes. a particular translation if people are interested. And I'm, I'm fascinated. I definitely want to pick this up. And I want to learn everything I can. And especially about the Anwin, the Anfin. The W is like a U sound. So it's like Anufin. Anuvin. 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 So um, I'm really interested in the Anuvin, the Celtic underworld which she describes as an underground otherworldly realm that is one singular realm divided into various kingdoms. But what I really like is that she says it's accessible to us. It's not like, well, you have to die. You have to be Odysseus to get invited in by pouring some goat milk and some blood together. She's like, no, you can just go through lakes, caves, or you know what? Just go walking deeper in the woods. And maybe I'm in my, I don't know if it's my villain era or my fuck around and find out era, but the first thing I thought about was, let's do it. Let's go into some caves. Let's go deeper into the woods. She even talks at one point when she talks about fairies, about fairy rings and how you never want to step in the middle of a fairy ring. And I'm like, yeah, I do. Yeah. 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 I kind of do. Like, I'm in my fuck around and find out phase. Like, I, I'm like, yes. Yes, I do. So if I go missing, just let you know, Gemini. That's what I did. The problem is, is that you don't always go missing. Sometimes you just come back not right. Listen, after everything we've been you're... through. No, you can't come back not right. I've signed on to do a podcast with you pretty much indefinitely. I'm not doing a podcast with like a gibbering idiot. Comes back and can only talk about fucking fairy circles. <laughs> All right, you don't know how I would come back. It can drive you mad. Okay. I don't know that. You might not come back at all. You see where we work? If I'm not crazy by now, this is as crazy as I'm going to get. Okay? It's a different kind of crazy. (laughs) Okay, fine. 
Anyway, um, then she we go into chapter five, Beyond Human, Divinities of the Land. Because I figured maybe we can talk about chapter four yes. and five together. I'm not sure if you want to do that, if you want to do something else about chapter four. Tell me. Well, this is the chapter where she talks about Gwynapnud. Oh, yes. Gwynapnud. Um, I'm in the... Okay, so all I could think about is... If she were to ever listen to this and go, oh, my goodness. Like, what are they saying? Um, on the one hand, Apnid. I feel like she has to know that we can't, that we're not. We can't pronounce. That the... Americans suck. <laughs> but. Gwynapnid. First of all, it's really interesting to me that, like, the mythology of Wales is tied up in King Arthur. Yes, I didn't know that. Or if I did, I don't remember that. Right? Like, I, because I think, first of all, I think we especially in America, associate King Arthur firmly with Britain. Um, yes. And to be like, oh, surprise, it's Arthur. Yeah. Um, that's very interesting to me. But it's also, I think we regularly associate King Arthur with like Christianity in a way, mm -hmm. because it's like that purity of knights and like the chivalric code and all of that, which just ends up getting tied into like purity as a christian concept and to be like well no these two kings are fighting each other over this woman and it's like this very sort of you know non-christian concept and it, it goes on to be like oh this might be the holly king and the oak king or Which like where i picked up on come from before she even said right it away. when she started yeah. describing it i'm like oh my god is this where it came from and then she said that and i went uh, i didn't i never would have known that makes sense yeah so it's 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 first of all just you should just read it because you don't realize what some of these things are until you read it and you're like oh wow you want to dive deeper but yeah. then also like the wild hunt is such a big part of i think modern witchcraft especially like yeah. modern celtic witchcraft i think even like modern um norse kind of has a similar practice so like yeah it gets talked about a lot it's very romanticized it's this kind of thing that like people think is very cool but it's also one of those things like I don't understand. And so to be like, well, here's the Welsh concept. Here's what right. might be related for Wales. Like, oh, okay, that's different than what I already have heard. So the idea that like, oh, this this thing that kind of gets like romanticized on Instagram, there's a lot more nuance there that we could be like sitting down with, right? It's not just Kernunos and some dogs every time. And I think that's a theme throughout when she's talking about a lot of different yeah. stories is there's a lot more there. And, you know, if you just know the stories that you grew up with, right, the fairy tales that you grew up with or whatever you want to call them, then you've only got, you know, not even half. You've got a very small part of the story. And yeah. to go deeper into your practice, it's a really good idea to start examining other myths. Because even if you're like, well, I'm not a Welsh witch, but do you know the story of the Holly King and the Oak King? And wouldn't you yeah. like to know a little bit more about where that could have come from? It just it, it just helps you all around, you know, and I think that's something that we've been saying on the podcast. The more you know about other traditions or other parts yeah. of witchcraft just makes your craft stronger. Also thought, um, mm -hmm. do we think that Gardner took a lot of these ideas like from Welsh because Wales has typically been oppressed and kind of treated like shit. So he was like, nobody's going to care if I borrow these stories from Wales. I think he didn't care where he took things from. 
Oh, yeah. That's fair. No, that's fair. I don't think no. he thought that much. That's true. Because, first of all, there's nothing else out there. So come at me. What you going to do about it? Yeah. I wrote about it. What you going to do? You're going to yeah. come out yourself? You're not going to come out yourself and say anything to me. So, and by now, he doesn't care because he's dead. He's been dead, yeah. So. Oh, man. Okay, so we didn't have this conversation on the podcast, but Scorpio and I were talking about, like, if reincarnation is like the the way we think about reincarnation could we be could somebody be like a dead famous person and like you see that person and be like oh i love that like could you be bella lugosi and so you're looking right. at like bella lugosi films and you're like wow i love that and i my response was well i still think it's ecological so like probably everybody has a little bit of everybody do i have gardner's self-loathing yes is my soul does it, yeah. is my soul that's how that works the self like the very small smidge of self-loathing that gardner might, might have had that is exactly what you have that's that's who that's what you got that's what you got <laughs> um i just like saying that because like i i say i don't believe that like i believe that you come back as one thing and you know my i don't know why i started thinking about that and i guess part mm-hmm. of me was like what if like i don't know a hundred years from now something of this podcast exists somewhere and i listen to these voices and i'm like huh that's interesting like i don't know because that scorpio lady sounds pretty cool yeah i like her no but i mean i just think we've had film now since i don't know how long 18 something when was the first yeah silent film i don't know forever ago a billion years ago but just the idea that yeah there could be people walking around that may never stumble on their past images or they might I also wonder when people yeah. go into antique shops and they buy a portrait of somebody and they're like, this just spoke to me. Like, could that have been you? Is it you? Did you yeah. just buy yourself and that's why you love it so much and, you know, nobody else really did? They're like, well, I just found this thing. I don't want it kind of thing. I don't know. Yeah. It's just, I don't know what got me thinking about that, but something in here just got me thinking about all this idea about past lives. But yeah, if it's not the way I think and it's pieces the way you say, then that's exactly what you got. He's going to haunt you for the rest of your life. <laughs> into the next life into the next life you're gonna be haunted we're stuck together we're we're all one yeah that's how this works um okay so is is there any deity you want to talk about so she talked about several um might as well just go in order i like that one of them had a sorcerer named math i'm sure it wasn't pronounced math but math yeah so we have modron the great mother uh, the very spirit of our planet and her son is Mabin. Mabin. Um, Rhiannon, the goddess of sovereignty, deity of grief, liminal entity. Love of course, I look right at you when love? I say that. What I actually love is deities of sovereignty. Um, I'm really getting into sovereignty right now, which first of all, I think as a concept, all witches should be working with because you should be like empowered in your own personal sovereignty. Yeah. But also, deity versus archetype, I think we categorize goddesses of sovereignty as separate from mothers and they get mushed together. Because like, so I was thinking in context of like the Morrigan, right? The Morrigan mm-hmm. is a goddess of sovereignty. Mm-hmm. sometimes people are like oh yeah she's a mother goddess I'm like i don't no. know Mm-mm. i don't know that i would call her that no now sovereignty is a parental concept 
right? True. Especially if you're like, I'm, I'm making kings, right? A king is the father of his country. So sovereignty is parental, but it's not a mother. Right. Um, and so I love this idea of all of the different ways that we perceive sovereignty, because I do think Rhiannon is kind of like gentle in comparison to other sovereignty goddesses. Um, and I love the story about how like this guy is chasing her and if you know he chases and chases and she never slows down well she's chilling but he never catches her and finally he calls out and says will you stop and she's like oh yeah if you had just asked i would have done it like that is such a beautiful example of personal sovereignty and to then extend that out into the concept of sovereignty in general is so different than like yeah. the way that i would look at hera as a goddess of sovereignty who is very much like i'm going to protect the royal line with vengeance and violence if necessary um so you know like i think i think i might be moving out of obsession with liminal and into obsession with sovereignty oh okay because it's sort of like you know it's great that you can like transition and be ethereal and like you know unquantifiable but also what if you were quantifiable and like perfectly strong and steadfast in your own sovereignty like i think that that's that's the new wave for gemini okay thank you now you heard it here first <laughs> we are leaving liminal spaces and we're moving into sovereignty i also find it fascinating that she's the deity of grief because it's yeah. not two things that i would put together Right. I'm not saying that strong people don't grieve, but it's not just it's just something that I wouldn't put together. Sovereignty and grief. It's a very I, I like it because it just feels like a gentle version of sovereignty. Like, oh, I'm yeah. a king. I am sad about the plights of my people. There right. is a heaviness on the brow of the king. Which um, it should be there. Right. You should feel the weight yeah. of the crown. Yeah. Y grief. Right. Grief should be tied into it. But nope, like that's not, that's so out of the typical, the typical archetype. Right. That like that filter is so interesting. And so important, one, it's important. Even if you don't work with Rhiannon, like you should really consider that conceptually. Oh, I agree. Yeah. So what upset me about this list was that somebody wasn't on it and that was Caridwin. And then I get to chapter six. <laughs> <laughs> I can just imagine Scorpius like, where's, where's, where's Kara doing? What's happening? And then boom, entire yeah. chapter. Yeah. So that's the archetype of the Welsh witch. And the thing is, she's the archetype, but she's also a goddess. And she talks about the fact that a lot of people have had issues with that, right? Is she a witch? Mm -hmm. How can a witch be a goddess? And it's like, no, she's the archetype of the witch. She's also a goddess. Um, and I think for some people who don't work with deity... It's a great way to start thinking about deity as archetypes then, right? Because you yeah. may not want to work with a deity, but you have to recognize, like you just said, um, you know, the idea of we have to work on what is the archetype? How are we the archetype? What does it mean to be a witch in that sense? Um, and then also looking at goddess, gods and goddesses as, well, what do they represent? I mean, forget the yeah. religious part. What do they represent? And can I work with that? Or can I use that? The energy of that for something so i think it's I, yeah. I, I like that so she's the goddess of inspiration transformation and magic um three magical arts sorcery conjuration and divination so magic sorcery conjuration divination 
it's kind of like that mixing again of these things, yeah. right? So where does it come from? It comes from everywhere. I think that we've been mixed for a really long time, but there are people who decide they want to break away or they've never been a witch or whatever. I don't know. And then she goes on to talk about, she tells the story of Taliesin and of cauldrons, the purpose and how to use them. I feel like we talked about the story of Taliesin. We did when we read um, right. the Caridon book. Okay, so maybe we should talk about the purpose of cauldrons. Yes. Not to go over Taliesin again. So she did a funny TikTok where she says, I have a problem. I think it was a TikTok or was it on YouTube? I don't remember now. But she has a problem and she was very serious. We're talking about um, Mara. And the problem is she can't stop buying cauldrons. And they're big ones, small ones, expensive ones, really cheap ones. And she takes some time to really talk about how useful they are. How you can use them for scrying, how you can use them to burn things, that they are probably the most practical tool that a witch can have. And mm -hmm. we do know that back in the day, they were plentiful because you cooked in them, you did everything in a cauldron. Yeah. So my question to you, I wrote it down in my notes, do you have a cauldron and what do you use it for? That's, uh, no, I don't. I actually, that's so funny. I, so we went to Salem years ago and i got a little pink cast iron cauldron in which city wicks? That i don't remember which city wicks? in which city wicks and i think i used it four times um i think i actually have only ever done baneful magic in that cauldron and then i just got rid of it i like never never resonated with it never super liked it it just never vibed with me um i have an offering bowl which very much mentally for me is different um but yeah not only do i not have a cauldron i don't know that i ever will wow yeah. okay so when you read everything she said about the cauldron what i was like yeah that makes sense okay not for me <laughs> that's so interesting because i really thought that you had i mean i knew you had one because i was there when you bought it but yeah. I didn't know if, like, you've gotten another one or if, like, if you used different cauldrons. I have cauldrons everywhere. I have a cauldron mug. I have a little cauldron on my desk. Oh, I do have a cauldron mug. Okay. I have a cauldron mug. I have a cauldron I that holds my pencils right here on my desk that I'm staring at. But then I have a cauldron on my altar. And that cauldron is literally to hold offerings or different crystals at different times. It all depends. Mm -hmm. I've never burned anything in my cauldron. And here's the funny thing. I can't bring myself to do it. I have a thing about not burning anything in my my cauldron, which is probably why I need another one. I just don't. And I think that comes Once from... Once you start burning stuff in it, it's like very difficult to get that shit out. Mm. You've just committed to that being for burning. Like that's... So I have an offering bowl that I used to use for spells. I don't. It's disgusting. And I can't get any of the gunk out it's like burnt in there so once you start burning shit in the cauldron it's a burning cauldron you're done i think it depends on the material because i have this little bowl that's for incense and it's very you can get it out but i know exactly what you're talking about like not being able mm -hmm. to get the gunk out when you burn a candle you burn um incense but i think if you had a different cauldron just for that it wouldn't even matter um yeah and i think part of it is also you know, we're talking about Caridwen, we're talking about that is her symbol. It is the cauldron, yeah. right? 
It's where the Awen is. It's, you know, it's very sacred. So, well, sacred. It's sacred to, I guess, for a lot of people who follow Caridwen, this idea of the cauldron. It doesn't mean you can't use it to burn. I'm just saying that this idea of having a cauldron, it's, you know, I've always looked to see, like, do I want a little cauldron pendant? Um, it's just something that's very associated with her. And, you know, yeah. it is, it's a symbol of transformation, which is what she does. Right? Whatever you put in there, if you're going to burn something, if you're going to scry, now it's no longer just water in a cauldron. Now it's a divination tool. Yeah. Right? It transforms to what you need it to be. So, I don't know. I, I really, um, I like that she went into the cauldron. Absolutely. I think that the problem for me is that I am a very modern lady, but like all of the things that I might use a cauldron for, I already do other stuff. So it's like, I, I would love, I love the idea of the cauldron as like, okay, well, this was something that like I cooked in, but I also did my magic in, but I also did. And like, I don't have that. Like I use pots and pans if I need to cook right. something, if I'm doing kitchen witchcraft, my offering bowl is a separate thing. I, I haven't really ever scried with water, but like scrying would be a separate thing. So I've already, I've already separated all of that stuff. Right. And I think, you know, and I, you know, we, we talked about it at the beginning of the podcast, like sometimes you got to put that shit back together i think it would be very cool and i think if you're the kind of person who's like ever been interested in cauldrons like get one and use it for everything and see what resonates the problem is that we like to buy things because we're hoarders because <laughs> we are which is our hoarders i know it's terrible but anyway um that, that that's it so there's a chapter on that and I guess maybe do you want to talk about the archetype of the Wel uh, Welsh witch? Or should we just go on since we've talked about? Well, no, I think we should spend a minute on it because I do like okay. sort of the way that she explains it in that the Welsh witch doesn't have to be Caridwin. Right. Right. But... Caridwin is sort of the representation of that folkloric historical what is a witch like in Wales because it, again it wasn't the same as in England it wasn't you know this horrible evil woman who was putting curses on you like yeah Caridwin will fuck you up if you say steal from her but she also recognizes that like Taliesin's transformational power is important and she can't bring herself to kill him once she has birthed him into the world after right. that whole story, you know, she she is an entity of transformation. And that as an archetype, I think, is so nice. And like, right. wow, I wish that witches were more associated with that than, you know, the fact that we might fuck you up at some time. <laughs> you know, and she does say, Caridwin herself is not the archetype. She influenced the archetype yes. of the witch. And into, you know, Welsh cultural context, right? This idea of a yeah. woman who is, you know, knowledgeable, wild, wild, not as in crazy, but somebody who, you know, has connections with nature, who can, you know, has, knows mysteries, who, you know, is just yeah. magical. And then she tells us this, the story. And what yes. she says is she really wants people to when you read this, to really digest the main elements. Those are her words. Digest the main elements, right? Tale of transformation and magic, but most notably, it is a tale of initiation. 
the yeah. idea of initiating somebody from being mundane into being magical, or in this case, very knowledgeable. And the transformation came through magic, through her magic. Yeah. So, you know, I think that's really a nice way of thinking about yourself as you transition from I'm not a witch to I am a witch or I'm going from one thing to another. Right now I'm going to undertake a new form of divination. Now I'm going to add yeah. this to my practice. You are transforming who you are. So who are you? You know, and the first exercise, yeah. that's one thing that we didn't mention. She has exercises scattered throughout this. <laughs> and this you know, book. we love exercises. Oh, my God. It's just, it's fantastic. But I think it's the very first exercise in chapter one. And yes, knowing thyself. And the first yes. thing she says is she wants you to look at questions like, who am I? What am I most proud of about myself? What labels do I carry with me day by day? And I think that's a great exercise to not just do now in the very beginning of the book, yeah. but to do past that. Because, you know, as your witchcraft grows, it changes. You change. Who are you? What are you most proud of about yourself? What labels yeah. are you using? You know, because you'll see how they change and what brought about this transformation. So... I like that. I didn't mention it before. And then we get to Carrie And now we get to fairy tales, which I loved when we got there because you now have also said, speaking of your transformation, is that, you know, the way you look at stories where we talked about, you talked about Puss in Boots, right? So this whole idea. Yes. So now we have the fairy tales of whales. So um, she says that scholars believe that many of the fairy tales in folklore are really remnants of older mythology. So, yes. You know, I don't think I'd ever, I knew that. So anyway, she feels that, so you, you should study the different folklore of your town because, or wherever you are, because it's going to be insightful and you're going to find meaning and it'll just help your practice because you were there to understand the land that you were actually working on. So what did you want to say about She tales? tells the story of the fairy harp and mm -hmm. reading that story, immediately I'm like, oh, well, this is a fable. Right. This is a story that's supposed to have like a message at the end that you're supposed to take away from. And then I was like, are all fairy tales fables? And I think the answer to that is yes. I think all fairy tales exist to pass on some kind of knowledge. Yeah. So maybe there it doesn't need to be a distinction. Right. I think maybe fables are like kind of on the nose and fairy tales like you don't always know what's going on. But like. I think there we don't communicate with each other for no reason. We didn't tell stories for nothing. Right. right. And sometimes the reason we told a story was because it was fun and interesting and it made people laugh, but that's still not nothing. Right. Um, so re reading the fairy harp clearly for me was like this is an instruction <laughs> manual on how to not X, Y, and Z. And I think that right. that is a great – way to look at the fairy tales and to look at your own fairy stories from wherever you're from because it's we we didn't tell them for no reason what yeah. is the reason that they were told right and i think when it comes to working with the fae it's a great way to get across instead of just telling you like because to try to explain to somebody what it is to work with the fae can be confusing yeah but if you have a good story and you're like okay let me explain to you what i'm talking about so there was this guy right this and is maybe how it there, works yeah. yeah and maybe there was no guy but it definitely explains to you the relationship the 
quote unquote bond that you have with them and yeah what their personalities and what they're because she says it several times they're not like us so they don't think the way we do so it's not that you know oh beware of the fae they're evil no they just don't think the way you do so if you want to work with them they're not reaching out to you if you're reaching out to them then you have to really understand who are they how do they think and what could happen if you enter into a relationship and you negotiate with the fae or you could be like the story so you know yeah I like that. Well, we could, that just takes us right into chapter eight, which is Welsh fairies. Yes. She says you have two types, humanoid and ethereal. So, and here we go. See, my, my biggest problem is I can't pronounce this. Okay, so you have the fair folk that are very graceful and beautiful. There's different types. You have some that are neither humanoid nor ethereal. They're kind of like in the middle. Um, fairy women mm-hmm. who haunt the mountain trails of Wales. And then you have the ethereal goblin-like, um, yes, right things that live in bogs and marshes and things like that. I think with, I think with chapters like this, but I think with Faye in general, um, sometimes it's sort of it's sort of like an encyclopedia, where it's like I need to keep you need to like be able to look back at it because. Yeah. One, you you may never interact with some of these things. Like it's sometimes you just are knowing about it for no reason. But other times it's, you know, especially with the humanoid ones, it's like I didn't quite realize what was going on. And then surprise, it's a fairy. Right. Um, so it's sort of a, it's always a useful tool. And like if you're going to work with fairies, but part of the thing with like chapters on fairies is it's sort of like I don't love them because if you're not going to work with fairies, just don't just don't you don't need the information you don't need to know if you're not going to work with them because then you're just like no stuff right and then then i'm worried about like you're going to use the stuff you know but then when you do work with fairies it's like well i need more than this one chapter (laughs) right so it's it's always a good start it's always good to know the things but very much like when we're talking about the fairy harp you need to you need to read the stories you need to know what's going on before you're going to start touching stuff (laughs) Yeah. What I like about the fact that she broke them down is that when you talk about the face, especially for people who don't work with them, we think it's like one group of people, right? This is the face. Yes. And it's really nice to go, no, there's different types. Let me tell you about some of them. And I think it's nice that it doesn't really go deeper because like you said, do you really need to know? If you really need to know, then go off into something else. But at least you have an understanding. I think the one that freaked me out the most were the fairies can't say it my immediate thought is bogarts and that's not welsh (laughs) boobach boobach okay so i'm gonna start again Mm -hmm. i think the part that freaked me out the most was were the fairies of the house the boobach because and i said this on the podcast when i was little i would see the fae that i I mean i didn't call them the fae they were little people little things because they weren't quite people like um in my house and I was like, I'm imagining this. And I would open my eyes and they would just be playing by liminal spaces, by like the window. And, mm-hmm. you know, she goes on to explain that you really have to take care of the house. How to honor the boobach is to really take mm-hmm. care of the house. My mother, when you walk into her apartment or when you walked into her house or any place that she's lived, it's like nobody lives there. There is not one thing. I wish. Seriously, I know. And she will come into my house and go, I raised you. 
what is this? And I'll go, but Ma, mm-hmm. it's clean-ish. Like, I'm not a clean freak. Yeah. But, like, that woman, like, if she saw that my desk and the papers that are kind of filed but not really, she would have a nervous breakdown because she's like, I don't understand mm-hmm. you. And I'm like, I don't understand you. This is where I live. How yeah. do you have everything locked away? She has a little rolling cart where she has, like, where she puts her mail, things that she needs to attend to right away. But she has she's a little so office. Cute. But you have to see the little thing. It's it's like everything. If I had it, if I opened this drawer right now, she would die because it's not all organized. Okay. And she mm-hmm. just doesn't understand why it can't be. So I feel like I understand why they were in her house. And I don't know if she spoke to them or worked with them, but it makes sense because that house. And like I said, mm-hmm. even her place now, it is, it's disgustingly perfect. Okay. It's just, you could go at I any wish. point. And say, I want to take a picture here. And she would go, fine, go right ahead. You told me you're going to photograph my house. I need a week. No. More than a week. You're going to do my whole house. But, you know, so um, I like that she talked about that. I also thought it was very funny that she talks about changelings. These fairies that would change your baby at a certain point and bring in this like monstrous creature. And I took that as... Not even as fairies at that point. I would think a story like that is almost to prepare mothers. Like, okay, you know your little angel? We call it the terrible twos, Mm -hmm. right? Why are they terrible, right? And I think you're experiencing that early with Baby Bat, who wants to run everywhere, Yeah. right? So it's that kind of thing like, okay, mom, um, maybe the fairies change your kid and that's why you... No, your kid is going to go through a stage where you're going to be like, ah! You know, what is going yeah. on in my house? And before I got rid of TikTok, I feel like I I, should, I miss TikTok. Before I got rid of TikTok, um, there was also conversation in, like, the autism and neurodivergent communities of, like, well, maybe a changeling is just a kid who was autistic. Oh, I never and heard that. That's interesting. We didn't have we didn't have the words to describe it because one of the things that you see with, like, when you look at the progression of autism is it is a quote-unquote quote unquote typically developing child that then backslides got it Um, and that for a lot of people was like oh i relate to this idea of a changeling because that you know a lot of parents say like what happened to my kid it's like well nothing that they just were neurodivergent got it and you're seeing the expression oh wow okay that's interesting see i didn't know that so i took it as your kid develops and all of a sudden they're like bonkers off the wall probably a little bit of both of both maybe yeah 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 that's interesting. Okay. So so that's a little bit on fairies. And then we have practical Welsh witchery. And she's yes. really, um, she's upfront right at the beginning. She's like, I'm not doing this so that you go and you copy what I do word by word. Right? I'm yes. doing this so that, again, you have an idea and now you can go, hey, she did this. I'm going to do that. And then she goes into spoken word and magic as an art. And as I saw that and I started reading, I thought, oh, my God, Gemini. Gemini who does not like to be a word witch. I'm not a word witch. I am very much not a word witch. I don't do words. And she talks about the benefit of of being wordy. Yes. I mean, listen, I I am wordy. I'm a chatterbox. I, you know, like, I read a lot. I write a lot. I fucking did spoken word poetry for a while but it's just not something that like resonates magically for me Hmm. and you know what actually no you want to know why this is one of those pisces problems okay here Um, we go i am so 
I like in, over intellectualize everything that I think if I were to be a word witch, I simply would not be a witch. That it would be too, I would make it too intellectual. It would be too oh. cerebral and there would be no room for magic to exist in that. So for me, my word witchery is very basic. It is not, I don't spend hours on it, right? I'm not trying to make it a nice poem. I just want it to rhyme, mm -hmm. right? Because once it rhymes, it's so much easier for me to say it over and over and over again, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's just, it's really yeah, simple. I don't have the self-control to not need it to be perfect. Okay, no. I just throw it out there. But at the same time, a lot of the times, a lot of times, I'm, okay, so here's the thing. I don't always want to sit down and spend hours working on a spell, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes I want to just do the thing. So what do I do? A lot of times I am doing the thing already, whatever it is, right? Whether it's just mm -hmm. me standing in place or whether I'm actually have ingredients and I'm putting some together. And I craft the rhyme as I'm going. And maybe it's halfway through doing the thing or maybe I, it's not until I'm totally done that I'm like, oh, I finally have it. And then boom, I say it, I do it mm -hmm. and I'm done. And do I ever use it again? Probably not. I'll write something else. But here's the thing. The more I write, right, like when I, I'm forced to, like if you ask me to write something, I go, okay, I got to write something mm -hmm. for today. Or I want to write something in general just because I want to have like a little something. Then it's easy for me to do it on the fly because I'm yeah. kind of working in rhyme already all the time. So yeah. it just gets easier and easier. First of all, in terms of Welsh, I think that this makes a ton of sense, right? She talks earlier in the book about Welsh being word magic. I think it comes naturally from that framework. Um, not everybody's going to be into it. If you are into the concept of word magic, this is another reason to read the book. Because I do think that she, you know, it's practical Welsh witchery. witchery. She gives you practical tools. She explains to you, like, reasonable ways to go about it. It's not for everybody. If you're not a word witch, yeah. you're not a word witch. But she does say that people used to have these song spells that they would use to heal, to curse, yes. to do a bunch of things. So that's also, yeah, it's a very big part of the culture. So that's, um, yeah. And then she gives an example of a modern Welsh folk magic ritual. So you can see that. Mm -hmm. And then she goes into the witch light, which I loved. I loved the witch light. Mm -hmm. Go to the go towards the light. And she even has an exercise for the invocation of the witch light. And she says you should use it as an act of self-care and love, which I thought was great. It's always nice to just like like yourself. And it actually, you know what's so funny? She says in the beginning of the book that a witch is like somebody who's empowered and can like take life into their own hands. And I read that and I was like, I don't I don't know about that. I feel like lots of witches aren't empowered. Really? But like, it's almost like that's, yes, girl, you've met some. <laughs> oh, yeah. But when you get to the witch light, it's sort of almost like she's manifesting that reality for us. Yeah. She's made the decision that like, no, I believe in witches. Even the ones that maybe are not empowered right now can be. Here is, here is a tool for you to use. I see what you're saying. You know. Um, so I, I just want to take from what she wrote. So another quote. Yes. I just I really like this. 
So it's all about illumination. She says it's delving into the mysteries and magic of our world is an act of illumination for the soul. Witches are illuminated by their drive to learn and grow as powerful weavers of magic, knowledge, and wisdom. And, you know, maybe sometimes we feel down and we feel like, what am I doing? You know, or you say you're a witch and someone looks at you and you're like, why am I even bothering? I kind of feel like I need to have this somewhere on my wall, you know? Uh Uh-huh. Like, it's the pick-me-up that I need, right? Um... And she says you can feel your witch light every time you learn something new. And I'm going to say that I feel my witch light after every podcast. Right? Just seriously. Like the act of sitting down, whether we're talking about a book or we're talking about a topic, I'm going to learn something from you. Right? I'm going to learn something about how I I feel. I agree. Right? Because it's like, you know, I hear you say something and I go, huh, what do I think? No, I don't think that. Why don't I think that? You know what I mean? Like you start to question all that. So you're learning, you know, and I think that that was a beautiful way for her to put it. And I think if you're having a bad day and you read that, you'll go, yes, yes, girl. I thank you because that's where that's where we need to be. We need to lift each other up. And I think that's what that is. So on that note, Scorpio, do you recommend this book to our listeners? Yes, I recommend this 100 (laughs) percent. I will say this. Okay, I'm going to say this. We didn't even finish all this. She talks about cursing pots and cursing wells and 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 all this stuff. And there's something I do want to mention before we, we close this up about her use of baneful magic. Mm-hmm. And she says, why wouldn't we use it on people who are trying to oppress us and hurt us? And if you're somebody who's like, well, I don't know, I don't know. But think about it. Why wouldn't you? Why on earth would you keep taking crap from somebody? So I really like that. The idea of the cursing well I thought was fascinating. I agree completely. Um, And I think we all have to figure out what our, you know, what is quote unquote moral to do. Like seriously. Yeah. You know, in this day and age. But would I recommend this book? A hundred percent. Let me tell you why. So whether you're a Welsh witch or not, I, again, I think it's really hard. And as somebody who has incorporated so many things who has taken from different things my culture together with my craft whatever you want to call it i feel like this book might have made it easier for me to start thinking of Mm -hmm. what i wanted to do to create something for myself that's one yeah two whether you again whether you want to be a welsh witch or not this idea of looking at fairy tales and mythology from another perspective from mm-hmm. the origins of something. Like you think you know something, but you don't. I think it's valuable because she gives you the resources. It's not just that she talks about them, but she even tells you um, more books, the bibliography, right? So she tells you, you know what? You want to know about this? Go here. And then she has it again in the bibliography yeah. at the end. So I think that it's, yeah. I know we talk about, you know, we don't want to do any more intro books. It's kind of an intro book and it's kind of not, right? I feel like, yeah. On the one hand, I could have used this in the beginning, like, you know, if I was going to start from from scratch. But at the other hand, yeah. I think now that I have a practice, now I feel like I could benefit more from looking at some of these stories. So it's kind of like a the both. more people, yeah, the more people write books that are like, this is my personal perspective, this is my witchcraft memoir, the more I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to read that introduction or not, because that 
is just another person telling their story. And every story mm-hmm. I read helps me to write my own. Right. Um, and I, I love that that's a, a shift that we're seeing in the text because I do think a lot of the older intro books were like, this is how you do the stuff. And it's like, all right, I don't need that. I've been doing this for like 15 years. I don't need that anymore. <laughs> right. So I think this is a new generation of intro books. I will say this. She mentions Christopher Hughes, who we've read and we love. Yes. I'm going to go out there and say, if you're like, oh, I still haven't picked up Christopher Hughes. I got to do that. Pick this up first. I agree. I think this is a great way to get you started. And then you go, oh, then you pick up Christopher Hughes. And I feel like it's a really nice, you know what I mean? Like you're really going to get a lot out of it. And then I would say, now pick up some of the fairy tales, some of the mythology books and go deeper. And again, even if you're not going to, um, you're not going to work with Caridwin, you don't really care about this stuff. I still think it's going to help you. I think everything that we can learn, especially from people who are, are so, they're in it, right? She didn't do a yeah. bunch of research. I mean, she did. But I'm just saying, she didn't have to research it to be Welsh. She is Welsh. This is, is Welsh. her culture. Yeah. Right. So you're getting to learn something from somebody who was born in it and then, of course, did her own research. But hey, yeah. isn't it nice to hear from somebody who didn't have to read it in English? So, because yeah, you know, you lose one. things, you lose things in translation, period. Mm-hmm. I do not like to read things Absolutely. in translation uh, for that reason. So the fact that we're having something from somebody who is going to tell you in English, but has the understanding because she could read it in Welsh. Mm-hmm. Wow. So I'm going to say, read this first. If you've already read Christopher Hughes, this don't, I'm not saying that's bad, but I think everyone can benefit from Absolutely. picking this up. And, and... You know, as far as how to pronounce these words or know more about this, I think we need to ask Mata. What do you think? Yeah, keep an eye out on the podcast. See if something uh, special comes your way. And just in general, keep listening and participating. Um, You can message us on Instagram or shoot us an email at witchspaceco or witchspaceco at gmail.com. We love hearing from you. We love learning from you. We love when you make suggestions. And uh, just overall, you guys make this podcast possible. I also want to say thank you to people who have reached out to me after listening to the Spanish podcast. I'm going to try to bring those out once a month, if possible. And Gemini is getting on learning Spanish. So I'm hoping that pretty soon. (laughs) Slowly but surely. Slowly nothing. This girl's pretty much a genius. So I think that before you know it, she's going to be on the podcast with me, talking to me. And um, so if you if you don't speak Spanish, that's and you know somebody who does and you're like, hey, I've always wanted to share which space with somebody. And, you know, they're like, oh, I kind of get lost because, you know, mm-hmm. my husband's there. Right. Like with the English, he's like, oh, you guys talk too fast. So, hey, turn them on to which space presents Magia Latina. Thank you, of course, to Conwin Moore for our intro and outro music. And remember, if you're following the moons, you're following us. Mm-hmm.